been lounging, lounging with Skipper. <laughs> You've been lounging, lounging with Skipper. Oh, oh man. Yo, 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 what's going on, everybody? <laughs> what you doing, Skip? What you doing? <laughs> yo, check it out, y'all. Uh, I'm gonna welcome you all to another episode of Lounging with Skip. Um, episode 20. Um, today, I'm sitting here with a legend in the game. You know, this man's been doing so much in the industry, and it's funny how we met, and I'll break that down eventually, later on in the, in, in the podcast. Well, in the, okay, so, well, first off, let me just say, welcome Blair Underwood. Thank you, good brother. Thank you, good brother. I feel like I need a cigar or something. I'm sitting here lounging with Skip. Can I get some red wine and some, some cigars oh, and whatnot? Man, you know what, you know what, I should get some wine. You should get some wine, I'm telling you. I should get some wine. No, 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 but next time, for, okay. your, for your next okay. guest. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. okay. Um, so yeah, I'm sitting here with and Blair. And cigars, don't forget the cigars. Okay, you know, yeah, I can't, you know, cigars up here. Um, so yeah, I'm, uh, man, I appreciate you showing up, you know what I'm saying? We've been talking about this oh, for yeah. a minute, you know what I mean? Um, and just having you come through, um, and I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm still like in shock that you're actually here and you're on <laughs> the episode, man, you know what I mean? Lounge with nah, man, it's my pleasure, my yeah. pleasure. Um, so this podcast is pretty much about talking to different people about their journey to being successful and what it is that they do, um, you know, and to bring inspiration to those that may need that ins- that inspiring story for them to, um, you know, to, to further them along in their journey. Right. Now, I know that you have, uh, you know, a, a, a good story, you know, a real important and necessary story for those people to listening here and that's why I wanted you to come on and uh, be a part of the podcast. So oh, yeah. I appreciate you. No, nah, man, it's my pleasure, man. I'm not inspired by what you're doing, creating your own podcast. You know, we talk a lot about that over the over the years. Mm-hmm. It's been years now. Just uh, you know, finding your own way and making your own way and not waiting for somebody else to hand you an opportunity or exactly. give you an opportunity, but exactly. to create your own yeah. opportunity and, and, and I see you doing that with your podcast, getting your voice out there, getting your ideas out there, your thoughts, your vision. So now, nah, man, I'm glad to be a part of it. So tell me a little bit about, um, so where are you from? I don't know, man. Depends on the day. Depends on the day? <laughs> the East Coast or the West East Coast? Coast? No, East Coast. Okay. East Coast mainly, I'd say Virginia. I spent most of my life growing up in Virginia. Uh, but, you know, my dad was Army. Okay. So I grew up on military bases as a little kid. Mm. And then we lived in uh, Germany when I was three years old. Really? Virginia. Do you remember? Do you remember? Nah, nah, I was three. I don't remember, I don't remember none of that. Mm. But Colorado, Michigan, Kansas. Uh, Georgia. Okay. Uh, mostly, mostly Virginia. Okay. Mostly Virginia. Mostly Virginia. Then my dad retired. You know, right when I went to college. So I'm talking about, uh, man, 85, 80, 80, 83, 84, mm-hmm. 83. He retired, and they stayed there. So, so you know, we get That's back. That's where home is. Home is Petersburg. So we get back every Christmas. And uh, as it turns out, I'm shooting a movie now in Baltimore. So part of the reason I said yes to that because mm-hmm. this is just like a little campus. Being yeah, see my folks, my, my dad is 83, 86, I'm sorry, 86, wow. Wow. my mom's 82, Wow. and they're still kicking, so wow. man, every chance I get to go home and That's see them, it is a blessing, That's and, a I, blessing. and I, I recognize that, so I try to get home and see them as often as I can. Were you, um, well, what, what sparked your interest in acting? Was it, um, was it something like when you were, you know, a little kid? 
kid that you know you just said you know I, I want to act like yeah what were some experiences for you early on like in grade school that inspired you or you know intrigued you to want to act man I think it was real simple to be honest with you uh, everybody I knew would watch TV and movies and well me certainly me I'd see anybody on TV or anybody in the movies and that seemed like that would, was the thing to do mm-hmm. that would be something anybody would aspire to do or I speak for myself mm-hmm. I looked at that and I saw especially other kids on TV mm-hmm. I was like well man how do I, how do I I'd ask my mom how do I get in that box mm-hmm. called the TV I want to do that mm-hmm. and that's that's kind of where it started then you see you see you see you know, people working and playing characters, becoming different people. That was one thing. But in then the you, box. In, in the box. I want, I want to be in that box. Mm. <laughs> and then, um, you know, now it's a rectangle, but it was a box back mm-hmm. in the day. But, you know, then, then I'd see actors in their lives and, you know, uh, not just the movies or the TV shows, but, you you know, you learn about what they were doing, you know, going to the premiere or going to the store or, you know, all of the gossip rags or whatever. But it just, it intrigued me what that life and that lifestyle was like for those people that lived in the box who were some of the you know like the kids at that time I can tell you Adam Rich was the one kid I don't know if any of you if your listeners remember this or not but there's a show called 8 is Enough Yeah, when I was a kid remember that Mm -hmm. and there was a talk show back in the day you know this was before The View and everything but it was Mm -hmm. called uh, Mike Douglas was the name Okay. and I saw this kid Adam Rich at 7-8 years old on the Mike Douglas show and um, that's the kid on Eight Is Enough. That was the kid. That was the youngest kid on, on Eight Is Enough. Yeah. 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 You remember? That? Yeah, I do. Wow. Wow. So yeah. So the family was all the kids, and, and and it was that one guy. I forgot his name. Dick Van Patten. Okay. I think yeah. it was. Yeah. And they had eight kids, yeah. and that was the whole point. Eight. Eight is enough. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. But I remember I was watching him on the on the uh, Mike Douglas show, and he was just talking about how he got in the business, and he inspired me. Mm. I was like, well, man, if he could do it. And that's another thing, you know, I, I never saw race as an impediment. Mm-hmm. So if I saw this little white boy do it, I said, well, I can do it too. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't like, well, I'm black, so maybe I can't. No, I can do it too. Mm-hmm. So um, that was one of the earliest memories I have, just seeing other kids kind of doing what I, I what became an aspiration, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that I wanted to do that. Um, so you said when you were seeing them in their outside lives and on the red carpets, what were some of the actors or that you noticed on the outside of that box. It was on, there were yeah. other box, but it wasn't in, in character mode. What were some of the people that you looked at? Yeah, my my access then was um, Jet Magazine, okay, primarily. Gotcha. And gotcha. one of them is actually a friend of mine who's become like my little sister. Mm-hmm. She thinks that, but my sister, I'll say that. It's mm-hmm. Kim Fields. Okay. Because she was in the game before I was in the game. Mm-hmm. You know, she's younger than me, but she started at five, six, seven years. Yeah, and before that, she was... Miss Butterworth, you can Google it. Miss Butterworth I think syrup. I, I think I remember seeing that commercial. Yeah, a little, little. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know if she had missing teeth or whatever else, but Miss Butterworth. And um, I remember watching watching her, thinking again, that's another kid I'd love to do that one day. But I remember watching, uh, reading an article in Jet Magazine just about her going to school, and I just, I was like, well, if you're famous, you're a movie, you're on television. Because at that point, you're right. It was it was uh, uh, the Facts of Life, 2D. And then later on, she's had, she's had success and continues to work to this day. Um, I was like, well, how do you go to school when you're on TV? Mm-hmm. And people ask you for autographs all the time mm-hmm. or sweating you. Or, or she talk, I remember thinking about her talking about her going to church. Mm-hmm. I was like, how does that work? Mm-hmm. You know, so basically it was like just the fascination and, and the interest in how do you navigate through the world when you work in a ministry where I learned it's just a job. 
but millions of people watch you do your job. Mm. Okay. So that's what kind of brought the aspiration for you to become, well, you know, the interest. It seemed accessible to me. It seemed like something, in the basics of terms, it just seems like something fun to do. So did that lead to anything in grade school for you? Did you like, hey, you know what, like it's a play going on at school, maybe I could be in it. Yeah, you know, another inspiration was my brother Frank. Now, Frank is three years older than I am, okay. and he was doing plays at school. Mm. He was doing, uh, damn, I think it was Guys and Dogs. He was doing Guys and Dogs. We lived up in Michigan. He was in high school. I was in junior high school, okay. and just I would hear him tell stories. Every night, you know, we slept in the same room. We had bunk beds, mm-hmm. and he would tell me about, like, what it was like at, at play rehearsal. So I'd hear about, like, the process of the auditions, and then, you know, the process of, Rehearsals and like who's 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 zooming who who's kissing who who's hooking up and, and you know who got in a fight that day and and then that, you know then transitioning to opening night and, and the lights and tech week technical week when you set everything in place um, and, and and you know putting the costumes on but it was the whole, and then to opening night but it was the whole process that I heard and lived vicariously through my older brother first. And how old were you at this time? I was 14, 15, 16. He was like, no, 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 I was 13, 14. He was 16, 17. Okay. And um, so I lived vicariously through him. I had to listen to him and just listen to what seemed like just an amazing process of, of make-believe. Interesting. Because it's basically, basically make-believe. We get mm-hmm. paid mm-hmm. to make-believe mm-hmm. as actors. Interesting. You know, you got, you got, you know, it's, it's interesting when you, when I talk to different people and I trip off of their particular thing that intrigued them, that was that oomph, mm. you know, whereas like with me, when I became one to, you know, wasn't thinking about being a barber, but I was interested in how hair grew. Ah, yeah. That's what intrigued me on how, you know, to cut it. Yeah. So it's interesting that that same way that you think and that you were feeling at that age was the same way I was thinking and feeling about being a barber. Oh man! At that age, for me. Yeah. And you know, huh. here we are in our own careers doing it, doing what it is that we do. Um, so this was in the mid, well, early '80s, so to speak. Yep, so exactly. And so, okay, so late '70s, actually. Late '70s. Yeah. Okay, so. What, when, how old were you when you started your, when you did your first play or when you decided to say, let me embark on this? First play was in school. I was 15 years old. So I did some plays in junior high school, then did plays in, in, uh, in high school. But while I was in high school, I started doing local dinner theaters. What's that? Local dinner theaters, good question. Um, theaters, this was in Richmond, Virginia. So there are theaters where you eat dinner, and then after you eat dinner, in this case, you go upstairs and there'd be a theater. And you'd watch a play, mm. so it's dinner and a, it's dinner and a, so and a play. So were you eating dinner, or was that? No, no, just the patrons would come in and they they eat, eat dinner. And come on Thursday and go yeah, watch the, oh, yeah. Okay. So you go to the restaurant, but the restaurant has got a show. Interesting, right? So it's dinner dinner theaters. Uh, that's a good question. People don't usually ask that, but I can't assume everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. good. That's a good question. That's interesting. Um, so yeah, so that's where I started. So I was doing that in high school. So I did two plays there, two two years in a row. Um, and the first one was Finian's Rainbow with my sister Marlo, my younger sister Marlo. And, um, and myself, and you know, I you know, go to school all day, and then we come home, and I pick her up, and we go to rehearsal, and they were, or we do the play that night. And um, I remember that's, that was my first time getting paid for a gig, mm. and I got paid seventy-five bucks per week. Mm. I think for the longest I saved that that first that first check. Mm. <laughs> I don't know what happened to it, but I framed it. <laughs> when you uh, did your first play, 
Well, your first day of practice for the play. Um, how did that feel for you? Do you remember that that feeling when you said, "Okay, I'm 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 actually you know about to start this and do this." Honestly, I don't remember the first the first play. I mean, I was like sixth grade, the very first play I did. It was like a Thanksgiving. First, well, the very first one where you got paid. Where I got paid. Okay, yes. yeah, Finnish Rainbow. How did that feel? Yeah, you know what? I felt like, because I was a junior in high school, so I think I was 16 at the time, and I felt like I was embarking upon that path at least of exploring what I think I might want to do. I thought I wanted to do it for my whole life, but you know, you, know, you, you don't really know. Mm-hmm. You know, but I knew I wanted to definitely take that path and pursue that that, that and journey. And to see that you got paid for it, yeah, that made it be yeah, like, oh, exactly. That I would get paid. I said, okay, right. so this is this is the professional world, mm-hmm. you know, and that that was um, that was the beginning and and, and life changing. So throughout high school, you're doing plays, uh, dinner theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, did you um, embark on any plays at school in high school? Uh, yeah, yeah, I did one because my teacher, Miss, her name was Marie Manigo, M-A-N-I-E-G-O, Marie Manigo, one of my, my uh, mentors of life to this day. Mm. Um, thank God to this day, she's still, still, she's still, she's still hanging. Um, but yeah, she had a company, downtown Petersburg, Virginia, called Playmaker Fellows. So I could actually, you know, I did a couple plays with them, but also at school, because she was also my English teacher. Okay. And we did Carousel. In fact, my brother was there. Was kid. He played a character called Jigga. We called him Jigga the nigga. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I played, I played Enoch Snow, Mr. Snow. Okay. And um, but yeah, that was one of the few plays I did at Petersburg High School um, with uh, my brother. So how, so here it is. You're in a play, and then afterwards, now you're going back to class the next day or that next yeah. week. Now you're in school. Are people, you know, seeing you in school and say, Hey, Blair. Hey. Nah, because you know what? It was a different world. I mean, it really was. I mean, people, my friends weren't going to see theater, mm. you know, at all. Mm. I had a crush on my teacher. I tried to invite her to come mm. see. <laughs> she never made it down. Mm-hmm. But um, So it was kind of like another world for you. It to, were, kind of, to, kind of ex, to kind of be something other than what everyone else knows you by. And that in itself is what was kind of an escape kind of for you to, to in the make-believe world yeah so to speak because you knew that they weren't coming to see you so it kind of gave you that 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 place of exploring as a character as another person no nah, you're right you're right and i was very involved in high school i was actually president of our student government and my, my senior year so i was very much involved in the school but i also knew you know i played football from third grade up until 10th grade okay so all of my childhood, I played football. My dad was a big athlete in college and high school and everything. And I thought I was gonna play football for a while. And I just, after, it was like my eighth year of playing when we first moved to Petersburg, Virginia. And I was in 10th grade. And I just, um, I did like the first couple of weeks of training and, and conditioning and everything. And I just, I lost, I lost my heart. And I remember thinking, I said, you know what? I'm thinking, I'm projecting into the future. I'm thinking, if I play football now, if I reach the pinnacle of success in football, if I make it to the Super Bowl, by age 30, I'm old. Mm. Whereas if I choose this acting path, mm. 30 is young. I can, I can act the rest of my life. Mm. So I just remember thinking, I said, you know, I'm going to shift gears and um, pursue this acting thing mm. at that time. And that was, I was in 10th grade at that time in high school. And a very smart decision that you made um, because, you know, that led to bigger and better things yeah. of course yeah, um, yeah and, thank you, you. and you weren't 
you know, you didn't get hurt, you know what I'm saying? Like in football or something like that, you can, you know, you, know, you can go out, you can, you know. And it's a wrap. Yeah, and it's, and it's done. And now, now, now what are you going to do? Hopefully education comes into play. And, I mean, you can still act, but, you know, now what? Yeah. Um, so, you graduated from, from high school. Mm-hmm. Um, now what? Now it's time to embark on college. What did you plan on doing? Did you get a, any type of scholarship? Like, did you go to an yeah. art school? Nah, man, I wish I got arts? a scholarship. Yeah, no, I went to school in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, uh, by the name of Carnegie Mellon University. Right. And they're known for, I would say, 70% technology and engineering and science, and 30% fine arts. Okay. Uh, so again, I knew, I knew without a shadow of a doubt, at that point I wanted to pursue this, okay. this acting thing. And um, so, you know, so I, I, I auditioned. They only accept very few. Auditioned you know, to go to the school? Carnegie Mellon. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's considered one of the top schools in the country okay. for, for, for theater and um, for theater and, and science and mm. engineering. Mm. And um, so I think like at that point, man, it was like three to five, I think three or four hundred people auditioned really? to a class of 15. Now it's like thousands of people auditioned. It's crazy. Three hundred to four hundred people auditioned to be in a class of 15. 15. That was in 1982. Wow. So it's a, it's a whole different whole different dance now. Um, so you made it I, in the class I was, of I was grateful. I got, people asked, why'd you go to Cardi Mellon? I said, because I got in. Wow. <laughs> I got in. In a class of 15, over 300, 400 people. Yeah, yeah. And that was, it was a music theater major. Because going back to when I was doing dinner theaters, this was I did dinner theater at a place called the Swift Creek Mill Playhouse. Mm. And I'll never forget, there was a, an actress by the name of Eloise LeBron, who I talked to. I always, I always gravitated towards people who were older than me mm. and wiser than me, mm. so I could learn. I'm always mm. looking to learn and mm. pick their brains. And, and you know, now I'm 54 now, I think she was like in her early 30s, mm. or late 20s, late 20s, but she was older than me. And, but she said to me at the time, she said, you, you got, if you want to pursue this, this acting career, you got to become what they call a triple threat. And I said, what the hell, what is a triple threat? Mm. She said, you got to learn how to sing, dance, and act, because that way you have more opportunities to be employed. Mm. If you're not getting any acting gigs, maybe you get a dancing gig. If you can't get a dancing gig, maybe you get a singing gig. So I took her seriously and, and pursued that. So I auditioned for Carnegie Mellon as a, as a music theater major. So you had to learn those disciplines of music, singing, dancing, and acting. So if you ever watched the movie Fame, yeah. it was like that yeah. at a college level. Really? So we had, to, we had to learn how to play the piano. We had piano lessons. We had voice lessons. We had dance lessons every day, acting lessons every day. Um, so it was like a conservatory right. of sorts. But it was, it was tough, man. It was tough. I can believe it was tough. Woo, but I loved it. I loved it because it, it forced me to grow and it challenged me. Cause so, it was very, so you had to be very disciplined to go to the school. It wasn't very. any kicking it and... Hanging out, and nah, man. It was really just nah. about handling this business. It's intense, man, because acting is all about the, the the craft of acting. It's all about tapping into your uh, emotions mm. and projecting those emotions mm. and telling a story with that. Mm. But you have to be vulnerable emotionally. So you talking about you know you 17, 18, 19 year old kids, really. And it's almost like every every acting class I'm talking about. Not mm. to get all the dancing and singing and the piano and everything else, but it's 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 about understanding your 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 emotional map okay. your personal emotional map and how to navigate that and how to push those buttons that's what technique is people talk about what's your technique technique is how do you reach into yourself tap those emotions and bring it to the fore 
and present it to an audience. Now, how were you able to do that at such an early age? Um, and when you began to do that, did that kind of scare you, so to speak? Like, oh, like, like for instance, if you were 17 years old, 18 years old, and you find yourself acting in front of people and you're like really crying. Yeah. Doesn't that, you something like that, as being 17, 18 years old, you can, you can say, Hold on a minute, what's going on here? You know, because you just tapped into something that you didn't know that you were able to uh, tap into within yourself. Now you're able to you, you kind of you're kind of learning more about yourself at a fast rate. That's brilliant, brother. No, that's exactly what it is. That's exactly and that's what, what training is. Wow. What you just expressed was training. Mm. You know, you don't have to train to be an actor. I mean, really the best lessons, the best, I mean, I, I did, but you don't have to. Mm -hmm. The best education is is being dialed into real life, mm -hmm. studying human nature around you, studying people, human beings, and behavior, and really analyzing, why did that person do that? Mm -hmm. I've always been fascinated by human behavior. If I couldn't have been an actor, I would have been a psychologist. Because mm -hmm. I'm, always, I'm always curious what, you know, my yeah, dad. My, and, that, and that's why we have, we have conversations. Yeah. Because that's my thinking. It's always, uh, well, why did this person do this? Or what made them, you know, come across that? Or what made them be this? You know, it's always a why. why. It's always a why. Yeah. That's right. It's always why. And I got that from my dad. And it, often at times I think, you know, as our, we as a people, we can jump to, well, that's because I have the conversation with my kids. A conclusion. Conclusion. I have three kids, 21-year-old son, 19-year-old daughter, and a 17-year-old son. You know, they're finding their way in the world. And it's easy sometimes to say, well, they did that because, is it because I'm black? Well, you know, it might be, but not necessarily. Mm -hmm. But it's, but I love the fact that they're asking the question. Always ask why. Right. Because sometimes it ain't even about you. Sometimes exactly. that person's having a bad day. Exactly. You know, so, but anyway. Um, but that's, but, but that in itself is what taps, like, like you said, taps a person into acting. You know, because it's like you said, it's much more than just stand in front of and learn these lines and act and, and say them. It's about acting and feeling and taking on the, the character of that person. So being right. at a young age like that, you were, you were conditioning and disciplining yourself to mentally take you take yourself to a place like that at an early age. That's exactly which right. basically leads me, which is the segue, into you taking on the role of Russell Simmons mm. In Crush Groove, mm -hmm. you put yourself, and you know that's that's, you know, like sometimes a person can can you know they can start their first you know gig off whatever just being just a regular hey man you know whatever whatever as a regular person, but you started your first you know, one of your first major you know movies that was the first yeah yeah okay your first major movie as. Somebody who's around today, who's a mogul in the hip hop, who was who, who you know what I'm saying? Who yeah, was a absolutely. mogul in the hip hop community, like, and you were taking on the role of him, so you had to go there, and that's why that movie is a classic. Now, <laughs> <laughs> now, before we even get to that, now you were in um, uh, the Bill Cosby show that was yeah. done. First. That was first, then okay. Cosby show. How did you? I mean, I then Crush Crew. How did you land that? That, that man, were, right. you, were you on there a couple episodes or just one? Uh, two episodes. Okay. But the first one, man, was literally my second day in New York. Mm. Long story short, I was in my third year at Carnegie Mellon, my junior year. I couldn't afford to stay. Mm. So you know, I talked to my folks about it. And they said, well, maybe maybe that's a sign from God. Maybe it's your time, your your time in 
turn to go to New York, see what see what happens. So I got in touch with a friend of the family. I found a place where I could stay. I went back to Virginia because I'd gone up just looking for a job. I was looking for a waiter's job or something else and looking for a place to stay. In New York? So I said, in New York. So I said, I'm gonna, I'm a, I can't afford to go back to Carnegie Mellon. I'm in my third year, my junior year. This is Christmas, the middle of my junior year. So, um, you know, my mom drove up with me. Right, mom and so I, this Christmas break. Christmas break. And I said, you know, times are kind of tight financially. Mm. My brother was in college, I was in college. Both of us were in college. My dad was a military, an army officer. So he made too much money, so-called, for financial aid. They wouldn't give me financial aid. He made too much money. But it was too tight to put two kids in college. Mm. No scholarships, nothing. So I said, I gotta, I gotta drop out. I basically had to drop, I dropped out. Mm. Middle of my third year. Went up to New York with my mom in a blizzard, because we had some friends in New York, and uh, DR Henderson, and she said, her mother lives there, her name is Elsie Rudder. Mm. I'm hopefully gonna see next week, actually. I haven't seen her in 15 years, she's like 90 something years old. Wow. But, but she said, you can stay at my place in Brooklyn. And I said, look, I just need, I'll sleep in the corner. I just need someplace <laughs> I can just right. stay so I can go knock on right, doors right. and just say, please hire me, right. you know? And, and got some leads on some some uh, uh, some jobs, some some waiter jobs, and went back. And the like, first, first day. First day, okay. and who told me, somebody turned me on to, oh, 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 my dance teacher, Billy Wilson, mm-hmm. at Carnegie Mellon, okay. said, when you leave college, let me introduce you to my agent in New York. So I called him up at Christmas and said, look, you said when I, he actually said when I graduate, I wasn't graduating, I said, I gotta leave, can you, um, can I take you up on that, introduce me to your agent? He said, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So that Christmas, my mom and I went over to his house in New Jersey. The agent. They, uh, well, Billy Wilson's house. Okay. He turned us on to the agent. I went to meet with the agent. She said, by the way, this is 1985, first year of the Cosby Show, mm. which was a huge phenomenon. Mm. And we go over there, uh, go over to the agent, and they said, you know what? Let me take your number down. You know, it's, it's good to know. You know, you, you know, we'll see what we can, gonna happen. My mom and I went back to Virginia. Two days later, this agent that Billy Wilson had turned me on to, my dance teacher, Carnegie Mellon, mm. had turned me on to, they called up and said, uh, can you make it up to New York, like, in two days, like on Friday? Mm. to meet Mr. Cosby. Mm. I was like, whoa. <laughs> or to audition, it was basically audition. Mm. I was like, well, yeah, we're gonna move up next week anyway. So I said, okay, we gotta truncate everything and we're gonna move up to New York, we're gonna go. My, I remember I was in the kitchen, I turned to my dad, I said, can we Can we go? He said, tell him yeah, tell, we'll figure it out. So I went up to New York for my final move. So that was my first official day in New York. Mm-hmm. And I met Mr. Cosby and um, the car was just a walk on, so I didn't have to, aud- I didn't have to rehearse nothing. Just a walk on. So they're looking for a look, really. And mm. I played Lisa Bonet's boyfriend. Mm. And this was Wednesday. They taped on Thursday. So Thursday, the, which was my second day living in New York, I was taped on the Cosby show by the grace of God, man. Was the, the, was was that was that the episode in the dancing room? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I just walked in the door and we were like all the friends were going out to uh, uh, see a concert or something. We were all dancing in the living room. And the great Judith Jameson dance uh, great dancer from Alvin Ailey she was on that episode also mm. but but yeah so you know the the challenging thing was the next day so I had to come off this big high Thursday night my second day in New York being on the Cosby show their first season so it was a huge hit now I'm like okay now I'm in New York what do I do I gotta get an agent the blessing was because the Cosby show happened so fast that agent said well I think we might want to sign you <laughs> might want to really? sign this young brother yeah so they started sending me out to different things and um out of that and out of that sequence of events came the Crush Group audition. Okay, now, first off, God had his hand on you, okay? He had his hand on you. This was definitely your calling. Mm. That was definitely a sign from God. I mean, we, we had this kind of, this kind yeah, of conversation. Yeah. 
to know that your second day in New York and you get on the Cosby show and then the next day after that, you know, you come off that off that high, that high, and you're like, I need to get an agent. And they're like, we'll sign you. Mm. And then right after that, you get Crush Group playing a, the, the main lead. That was a blessing. And that was a, yeah. that's a monumental movie in the hip hop. And hip hop was just coming up in a commercial way. Yeah. And you were like in the forefront of that movement as Russell Simmons. Which takes me to me at that age being eight years old, nine wow. years old. Yeah. <laughs> I'm nine years old. Listening to hip hop. Listening to Fat Boys, Run DMC. Um, I see this movie trailer come on, you know, TV, you know, showing scenes or whatnot, and Run DMC, what? And Curtis Blow, what? And it's like Crush Group, rated R. <laughs> and I was like, well, damn, I can't. I know I can't go to the movies and see it. I'm yeah. too young. But, oh, they got, so now, you know, back then, you go to the record store, you get the vinyl. I'm yep. seeing the Crush Groove record. Yeah. And I'm looking at the front cover of the record. I see, you know, um, Sheila I, don't, e. I don't know if Beastie Boys on the front of it, but Sheila e, Sheila e, Fat Boys, Run DMC, Curtis Blow. And maybe somebody else. But I'm like, well, who was this guy in the middle? I'm like, who is he? Who is this? And I was like, okay, well, whatever. Yeah. Keep in mind, I haven't seen the movie yet. My first was seeing was hearing the music. Right. So wow. my thing was, who is this guy? And then I look on the back and you can see the clips of the movie. Mm-hmm. Like maybe six clips. Not, not movement clips, but pictures mm-hmm. of the movie. And it was some of the scenes that you were in mm-hmm. from the pictures with like Run. And I'm like, huh? Like what? Like this? Like this? Man, this movie's probably dope. <laughs> I'm listening to the music. The album was dope. I finally, some kind of way, was able to see the movie. Mm. And that's when I was like, what? And the the the, the um, one of the best scenes. Um, well, for one, when uh, what's we call it, Grant was like. Don't let me break you to your knees, Russ. Russ. <laughs> the great Richard Gant. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, man. I mean, and even to the point where when the dudes full force came in and beat up you and run. Just me as a kid seeing that, man, as a, you know, it was just, it was dope, man. And the fact that you was actually in there with Rick Rubin. Now, yeah. did you even know at that time for you in hip hop, what was your thoughts on this? Was this like, oh, I'll just do this movie. You're like, oh, whatever. What did it do for you? What did it? What did it? Oh, what did man, it speak was... to you? Being on set with these guys, and this is your first main movie. You know, man, it was it was life changing in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways, uh, because it was a big break. It was a big studio film. I knew that. Um, you know, I, I of course knew the the, the positioning and the fame of, of Curtis Blow and Run DMC mm-hmm. and even the Fat Boys. I mean, they were huge yeah. at the time. Um, I was excited to work with Sheila E. Mm. You know, because the same director, uh, 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 Doug McHenry. Doug McHenry produced it, yeah, and George Jackson. Uh, they were they were the producers on it, but 
But it was the same production team that had done The Last Dragon mm, with right, Time Lock. Right, that okay. Vanity was in. Right. So I was right. like, I remember watching Time Lock thinking, he got to kiss up. That's interesting because it had that same kind of look to it, too. Yeah, Michael Schultz was the director on that. Wow. So Michael Schultz cast me in, in Crush Crew. But uh, so he did that, and I was thinking, like, man, he got, he got to kiss on Vanity. And then, um, and then I found out Sheila E was doing this one. I said, oh, man, I'll do this one for free. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good with that. Right. So now, nah, so it was, I say all that to say, it was a huge deal for me as a young actor, just new to the game and just coming to New York. Um, just in that to, time in movies and period, I mean, Purple Rain was, yeah, was coming that's out, right. that's or right. it just came out at that time, like, just, it was one of those movies, man, those staple, and those staple movies. Beat Street had just come out too, Beat so it was kind of on the heels of Beat Street oh, at that, the time. Breaking. Breaking, breaking all that. It was all a part of that, man. Oh, yeah. You, do you remember, and I'm speaking right now from the hip-hop fans that like, oh, for real, that, that really want to yeah. know these types of answers. Um, how long of a how long of a shoot was that? Like, you know, do you remember? Was that like? Man, I don't I'd say like maybe four weeks. I'm guessing. I don't even right. remember, but I'd say about probably about four weeks. So yeah. when that was done, you know, keep in mind you seen LL. I mean, oh, this is well, no, nah, there was LL too because LL was 16 at the time. Yeah. So he was just coming out with the, you know my radio. He had yeah. just come out with. In fact, he, it was premiered and and debuted in the movie. Mm, yeah, uh, yeah, and he said box. Yeah, that's right. That's you, right. You, were, were you you were in there that that day? Uh huh. You was in that in the room that day. Yeah, because there that day, almost sure. Of it. Yeah. Cause I think that was when. Uh, I mean, you had Andre Harrell in that man. It was a bunch of yeah, people in that movie, that. man. Everybody was up in that. Now so, it's, it's and going looking back on it, man, it's such an honor man. to have had that opportunity, the chance, man. Yeah. What about that? That's what I'm trying to say. That was a blessing from God, man. That was a blessing because what that yeah. did was spark the. Uh, a, a new generation of kids completely growing I, with you now at this point. Yeah, that's right. Into your career. That's right. You know, I did want to say we're talking about the musicians and and their level of fame at that time, but also, man, at that time, uh, hip hop was considered seven years, seven eight years old, mm-hmm. and there were questions even then: Would hip hop last? Mm-hmm. Could it last? Mm-hmm. But I have to tell you, you know, aside from the musicians. Russell himself had a huge level of respect and high regard mm-hmm. in the industry. Mm-hmm. He was only seven years deep into it, mm-hmm. really. So nobody knew, nobody knew any of these people would last this long mm-hmm. and be iconic. You know, and Russell, Def, and nobody knew what Russell even looked like. And Def, so Def Jam is still around to this day. Yeah, to this day. Based off of that movie. Yeah, man. But but the good thing was, from an acting standpoint, nobody really knew who, what Russell looked like, so I'd have to I'd have to pretend to be somebody mm. else. But no, he really took me under his wing, man, and took me out to the club. He said, "You you got to see what I do." Really. And 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 also see how I interact with people and just see my world. Really. So yeah, we would go to clubs and just uh, I would just be quiet and just watch. Mm. And you know, just <laughs> you watch walk 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 into a room, man. Everybody. Russell, Ru- Rush, you know, Rush, Rush, hey man, everybody love Russell, you know. And I gotta say, well, I'm just let me jump forward to mm-hmm. right now, today. Mm-hmm. All these years later, I just finished doing a movie with Russell mm-hmm. that he produced that's about, it's coming out I think in August okay. on Netflix, mm-hmm. and it's called The After Party. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't, you know. What are the odds of that, you know? What are the odds of that? What are the odds of that? And it's about a young rapper played by the rapper Kyle. Mm-hmm. And it's it's all kind of like uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It's like a day in the life. He's trying to get a record deal. Mm. And I play Kyle's dad. So it's just, it's, it's it, and, and Russell is one of the producers on it. That's dope. Um, but it's just kind of cool all these years to come full yeah. circle. Yeah. To work, you know, work in that camp and back in New York in the mm-hmm. hip-hop story. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's very cool. So, um, so after, you know, Crush Groove and things of that nature, um, what was life for you like now, and what was the plan? What was what 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 headspace were you in, and 
what was the motive now? You know what, I, I just remember everybody telling me at that time, uh, run was one of them, and, and agents, ride this wave as long as you can. Mm. My main thing, man, was I just didn't want it to end. Mm. I didn't want this to be a one-time shot. I didn't want to be a, a one-hit wonder. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want people to say, whatever happened to? That one guy. That that, 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 yeah, who was that? Who, who was that? So that's, that's, that's been a driving force for me my whole career. Mm. Um, you know, if you're going to be in the game, make a mark in the game. You know, make moves. Mm -hmm. Be remembered. You know, you're done, man. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you, brother. But that, but I remember at that time thinking, like, how do I, how do I sustain this? How do I build a career okay. from this? And um, at that point, it was just about working, because things happen fast, man. I mean, college show happened fast. Crush, mm -hmm. that was all my first year. That was 1985. That was all my first year in the game. So I just wanted to build and learn and grow and and and, and know what knew there'd be some dry times, but just. I knew this was what I wanted to do. What was the time um, in between Crush Groove and L.A. Law? Um, I did a soap opera in New York called One Life to Live. Okay. I played a character named Bobby Blue. And even that, because mind you, I'd been trained in the theater. My first gig was theater, theater mm -hmm. in Richmond, Virginia, Petersburg, Virginia. Then I went to school mm -hmm. and studied theater. Mm -hmm. So my whole thing was always focused on theater. So soap operas are like theater. Well, well, no. Well, the thing was, I remember so many of my friends at the time you know, there's a, a lot of, no, a lot of them very much look down on soap operas. Okay. You know, you're a thespian. You, you should be doing Shakespeare and, you know, great, great theater. You know, why why would you blow yourself and do soap operas? I'm like, damn that. My whole thing is I wanted to work. Mm -hmm. And the more you work, the more you learn. Yeah. Now, you have to be cognizant of the fact that in, that, in those days, I feel like an old man, but back in those days, truly, there was a distinction between being a soap opera actor, mm. daytime actor, mm. being a nighttime actor, mm. and being a movie actor. Mm. Very seldom could people make that transition from one to the other. Mm. To this day, a lot of actors that, that stay on soap operas, it's very hard for people to buy them in a nighttime series. Mm. Now, Leon Lawrence Fishburne started in soaps, I started in soaps, and there are a lot of actors who have come through, but they didn't stay and make their mark in daytime television. Um, I had ventured to say you probably could today. Mm -hmm. But back then, people just weren't giving you that option. Mm -hmm. You know, they'd, they'd peg you. Plus now, you know, compared to back then, it wasn't as much content, of course, as it is wasn't now. Wasn't much, exactly. Was, nowadays, it's a, it's a beautiful thing, man. Yeah. Nowadays, you can be an actor, and you can work in many different mediums. Then it was very, very rare to do right. that. So I just knew I wanted to do it so, because I wanted to learn. Mm -hmm. It's one of the best training grounds, man, because you, you, they give you pages of dialogue, and you got to crank it out the next day. Mm -hmm. And sometimes if something goes wrong, you got to shoot it live, which happened once. Oh, one life shoot, to live. One life to live. You got to shoot it live, so you, it's like, it's, you know, so it's it like can freak, it's it like can freak it out. But yeah, and if you think of it like that, live theater, it's just theater. Yeah, but like theater, you got to be prepared. If you don't know your lines, if you don't know what you're doing. So what if you it mess can be, up? It can be terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> and then the world sees you mess up. Really? And tune in tomorrow. I'll fix it tomorrow. I'll do something new tomorrow. Really? Yeah. Um, so between between Cosby and and, and uh, Crush Group in LA. No, you know what? My bad. One Life Live came after Crush Group. Mm, okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. That's right. You said after Crush Group. Yeah. yeah that's right. Yeah. The LA Law. That's right. Right. That happened in between that and LA Law. Now, what led you to into LA Law? Because now LA. Now okay. Now, okay. Speaking of which, what you just said. So you went from daytime to nighttime. Right. So now you're crossing. So now it's showing agents Bruh. like, man, he can, he can do daytime. 
nighttime, and he just did a movie? Yeah, but honestly, most actors can. It's just given the opportunity to show yeah. that you can do it. Once again, God. That's God, man. That's God. I, I, I Come attribute on, man. all to God. It's all God, man. Just kind of putting it. Nothing but. It's like beaming down on you to. I'm pretty sure a lot of actors out right now you have inspired. Mm. I know for a fact. Wow. So L.A. Law, how did that come about? Simple, so just the agent, and they just got you the. Yeah, you man. I'd been I'd been out in California, so I came out here to do this. Okay, so you was in. Okay, so I was in New York. I was still in Brooklyn. One New York. life to live was New York. New York, yeah, okay. yeah. Shoot that, we shot that in Manhattan, in New York. Yeah. So yeah, so I had auditioned for a, a show on CBS okay. called Downtown, mm-hmm. which starred Mariska Hargitay, who's made such a name for herself now in Law and Order SVU. Okay. But um, I put myself on tape in New York, and then they called me out because uh, I got the part. We shot it here in California, mm-hmm. so we did the pilot. And the pilot, of course, is just the one episode. Right. And the, the the network will look at that one episode, and then they'll decide they're gonna invest in more episodes. <laughs> You've been going through that since. Hey, bro. Yeah, that's the that's the name of the game, man. So yeah, so we did the pilot for downtown, and then I waited like four or five months to back went back to New York. They told me that, you know, they're gonna pick it up as a series. I was like, wow. So that's when I moved out to California okay. to do the the series of downtown on CBS. It was in the eighties, nineteen eighty seven. So that's okay. So that actually happened. That, yeah, yeah, okay. so that, that series happened. Okay. And uh, so that's what brought me out here, and I ended up staying out here. Um, so a year and a, about a year later, less than a year later, um, they're having auditions for this show, L.A. Law. When we did Downtown, that was the first year of L.A. Law. Now, L.A. Law was the number one show on television. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I was doing Downtown. Okay. Then Downtown got canceled. Mm. Then the second season of L.A. Law. That's I, came on. I came on the second season of L.A. Law. So the second, because first year I was doing another show. I was off the, off the market. So now I'm on. The, now I'm available, and they're casting for this new black young lawyer. And I'll never forget, man. I, I I wrote this out recently because Stephen Bochco, who created LA Law, who's mm. the icon of television, um, passed away about mm. five six months ago. Mm. I wrote a tribute to him. As mid, he, he he gave so many actors in this industry their break. Mm. Um, he created Hill Street Blues. He created LA wow, Law, wow. Uh, NYPD Blue, you wow. know, and, and and so many more. But anyway, but when the breakdown, it's funny because LA Law had the same like time slot as like Hill Street Blues. Thursday nights at ten. That's right. That's exactly right. So, um, you know, they they send send out the breakdown, which is basically when casting directors they tell you what what type they're looking for. Mm-hmm. And on the breakdown, they said they wanted somebody 20, 20, 27 to twenty eight. No younger, no older. You know, African American, this, that, and the other. I was 21 at the time. So, long story short, I went in. I remember I auditioned, and then I came back. I said, "Yeah, we like that." We came back, and you're gonna read for Stephen Bochco. I came back and read for him and Terry Louise Fisher, who also created the show with him. And um, audition ended up getting found out the next day. I got the part. But I, I just remember being a nervous. 21. 21. I remember, being, bro. I was just watching that first. I've never, I haven't seen it in years. My kids. We went out to dinner last night. My mm-hmm. kids. They wanted. Somehow that came up. And they wanted to see us. We Googled it, that first scene. The first scene? The very first scene. Okay. And I told him, I said, you know, that scene changed my life. How so? Because it was the very first scene, my very first day on that show. And I knew I was much younger than they were looking for. Mm-hmm. And I thought, man, I, I thought they were going to fire me after they saw me on camera. Because they said, well, he looks he looks too young. Really? Yeah, man, I thought they were going to fire me for show. And, uh, and it, wasn't until, it wasn't until the show aired. And I didn't hear anything. And like that first week, Stephen Bosco came up to me. I remember he put his arm around me and he said, how's it feel to know you have a home for the next five years? 
because it was a hit show. They knew it was gonna run for years. Mm. And I never told anybody to this, to that, to, to, for five years until it was over that he had said that to me. Because I said, at any point, they could just fire me, you know. And by the grace of God, man, I ended up being seven years. And that, seven that, years on that seven show? Seven years on that show, yeah. The show ran for eight, but, you know, I came up being the second year and I did the show for seven years. But it changed my life and it opened up doors that are open to this day. Because, it, cause it, you know, you, have a point, you, have, you have to have a point of reference. People have to say, I remember him from somewhere. So there was Crush Groove first. And, and, see, then, and see, Crush Groove was for the urban, you know what I mean? Different audience, primarily. Right. Yeah. When L.A. Law, that's like what sparked America. You know, mid, you know, not mid-America, but, um, you know, the like my mom. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, she was like, who is he? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Back then, man. you know what I mean? Like. Nine o'clock at night, man. She was tuned in to LA Law every Thursday, man. Yeah, yeah. And um, I remember that, man. You know, um, and just so it it, it sparked uh, America to tune into that show, and that's pretty much where like people of that, you know, of that um, generation, yeah, like you said, yeah, that's where, like you said, um, that's where they noticed you. Yep. And then when I saw it, I was like, oh, that's a little boy from Crush Groove. Yeah, that you knew. But she didn't know what yeah. Crush Groove was. You understand? Um, so L.A. Law became successful, man. You started blowing up. Uh, now you're like, it's like, dun, 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 dun. So now, so now what's going on? So, you know. What was that skip? You know, it's Hollywood, big lights, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, L.A., man. you're kicking it. It's, you're young. You know what I mean? All um, candy. Yeah, you know want. what I'm saying? Everything. So, yeah. boom, you're living the life. You're enjoying yourself. Um, now now what? After that? After L.A. Law. After L.A. Law is over and everything like that, you know? Man, you know what? The the last... You know, it's interesting you say that. I, I remember the last day of L.A. Law. We shot till 5 in the morning. And I remember... There's a movie that I did in '94 uh, called Just Cause. Okay. Sean Connery and Lawrence Fishburne. Mm. Uh, I played a serial killer, pedophile, mm. who was accused of murdering his 12-year-old white girl in the South. Wow. And it was a big deal because it was a big Warner Brothers, big studio film. Um, and literally the last day of L.A. Law, we wrapped at five in the morning. Mm. And. I asked my girlfriend at the time, Desiree, who's now my wife for, 20, mm. for 24 years, mm. packed my bags. I had to go straight from there to the plane to go to the Bahamas to rehearse the movie. So it was that, during that last few months of L.A. Law when I was auditioning and ended up getting that role in, in Just Cause. And, um, was so Sean Connery? I, and Sean Connery, and Lawrence Fishburne, Ed Harris, Ed Harris, Kate Capshaw, who's Steven Spielberg's wife. Kate Capshaw, yeah. And that's how I met him. That that played itself out later years for employment because he put me in Deep Impact that he produced. Oh, um, but it's been a blessing. I mean, so much of it, yeah. man. I gotta tell you, it's God, but it's also being ready, being prepared mm-hmm. when the opportunity comes, but also being humbled and looking out to give other people opportunities. Now, I know I know. for a while, you became like the, the, the bad guy. You oh, became, yeah. You became the bad guy, the one that was beating up the women. <laughs> Bruh, my little cousin, my little cousin sent me a meme a few weeks ago that said, have my face and a couple other actors said, when you see this face, you know a bitch about to get slapped. I'm like, why I got to be all that? Why it's about to be look, all that? Man, look, when I seen that with that Medea movie, I was like, damn. Like, I, I remember it was one scene. Oh, Medea's family reunion. Yeah, it was one scene, of, like, I guess you came into the room 
and she was with her friend or, or sisters or whatever, and they were like having a good time, and he was like, yeah. you know, you're like smiling or whatever, and then I think they left, and she's like, all right now, y'all, I'll take it. And she shut the door, oh, and then yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. But you know, yeah, I'm <laughs> that and uh, what was the, uh, what was it, um, O? Oh, G. You remember G? G? And there was a, a sun. I, I went to the movies and saw G. Wow. There that was, was a, a, a Sunder, which is another. That crazy, was, yes, crazy. yes, yes. Now, speaking of that movie, that was that's that movie, man. Because I think about being on a Ferris wheel. Yeah. And your wife is pregnant. Yeah. And you all are, you know, you with, you know, you you with another couple. You're having fun. You're chilling. You know, you 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 kind of feel like you're you're, you're happy to be there, but you really don't really it's not really about really being there it's really just about spending time right but you get on this ride you shut it but her blouse gets in the way of it wow. shutting you did see it I seen this movie man <laughs> and the fact that something so simple of just playing oh and it opens up it when I saw that it puts somebody like myself it puts the average person in that position what right. would you do right how would right. you feel after something like this happens, and you know, and it's kind of like in a, in a way you, you you went crazy. You yeah, know what I mean, that's right. you went crazy because it was just like. But then it's also kind of like, were you always crazy? You and know what I mean? No, we don't know that. We don't know. Yeah. So we kind of look at it that at that he put it up on himself that it was his fault that that happened. Out of so his that, grief, that, that, that triggered turned, something. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that was a. And then I noticed at the end of the movie, your hair was like straight. Yep. <laughs> was like, yeah. And blonde. Yeah, and blonde. <laughs> you know, two things I wanted to mention. Um, the beauty of Just Cause, because L.A. Law was pretty much, a lot of roles I played during those seven years was just good guys. Mm-hmm. Upstanding, noble Negroes. Mm-hmm. What happened on the heels of that was Just Cause, playing that serial killing pedophile. Also, Ruby Dee, who's one of my favorite actors, mm-hmm. was in that movie also. It opened up for the next 10 years of my career it opened up the opportunity to play a lot of bad guys. Mm. So then people, when they see you come up on, if they know your work, they don't know if you're going to come, if you're going to be a good guy mm. or be a bad guy. Mm. So that's 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 a gift as yeah. an actor to be un, uh, unpredictable. And then also on top of that, you know, you threw in some comedy with Malibu's Most Wanted. Malibu's Most Wanted. Had to, had to. But let me just say real quick, just one more thing about um, Asunder. Mm. Tim Reed gave me that opportunity. Tim Reed, some of y'all may remember from Venus Flytrap from WKRP in Cincinnati. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he built his own studio in my hometown, Petersburg, wow. Virginia. And this was the first film they, they that was produced in that studio. Mm. And we, he let me, he gave me an opportunity to be a producer, executive producer. Mm. So that, therefore, that's the first thing I executive produced. Wow. So many times it's about people giving you opportunities. And that's why I try to pay it forward as often as possible. Wow. You know, to encourage other people to just give, give me a shot, just give me a chance. And uh, anyway, so, but that was important because he let me become a producer. Because um, he couldn't pay me as an actor too much. So he said, well, you know, you have executive producer credit, but you can use that and I have used it as a negotiating chip for the next thing. Well, what have you produced? Well, I produced this. They're not gonna look to see what did you actually do, but you have that credit as a producer. You can build on that. You be used as a leverage to build a career. That's so interesting that you say that, that you know, you was granted that, you know, the opportunity, you yeah. gave the opportunity to be able to say that you produce or executive produce this. And sometimes you don't get that. Oftentimes you don't get that. I'm, if I may, just another quick shout out. Lou Gossett Jr. He approached me around the time, it was been 90, 92, 93, I think. And we did a, show, a movie called Father and Son. How that happened, he just reached out to me and he said, I read this article 
in the newspaper about a father and son meeting in jail for the first time. Mm. Let's do that movie. He had a deal with NBC at the time. He said, do you want to play the son? I said, I'm down, because he's one of my heroes, too. Mm -hmm. And um, we pitched the project together, went to NBC, pitched the whole project, just a movie. There's no script. Father and son meet in jail for the first time. We'll create something. They bought it. We're going to shoot it. You know, eight, a year later, we're going to shoot it. Comes time to negotiate the contract. I said, cause I, always, I always knew I wanted to produce and create. Always, my dad drilled into me as I drill into my kids now. Ownership, ownership, ownership. Mm. Own what you can. You can have a job, that's fine, but build towards ownership mm. or own a piece of something. Mm. So I knew I wanted to be a producer. So uh, when it came time to negotiate that contract for father and son with Lou Gossett, uh, I said, well, I like the producer credit. The network said no. I was like, wait a minute, you don't have to pay me anything extra. You're already paying me as an actor. I just want the credit because I knew I could use that and leverage it towards other jobs as producers in the future. I said, no. Lou Gossett stood up for me and he said, the kid just wants a credit. What does it take away from you or the network or anybody else? I'm telling you, as a star of this, I got to deal with NBC. I'm telling you I don't have a problem with it. So they said no and he kept pushing it and he stood up for me and they ended up giving me that credit. Damn. So I'll, I'll always be grateful to him and so many other people, I'm telling you, who, who've... Um, granted me opportunities and given me a shot. And I know that for a fact, so that's why you don't do anything on your own in this business. You don't, you know, it's too much of a team effort. Mm. You gotta treat people right, you gotta respect people right, you gotta do your job, mm. you gotta deliver, but you gotta look, look out for other people too. So having a credit, um, for people out here that, you know, they're, they, they're probably in the same situation or thinking about it, having a credit is worth, is more than actually having the money and the loan. Uh, well, I won't say it's more, well, you know, but I won't say it's more. But it's it's as valuable. It, it if is. they if they want to pay um, somebody less money, but they'll give you credit. Yeah, that that's that that's that stands more. I mean that 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 stands longer than it can because you can you can use it to build a career. That's what it is. It's how do you how do you come up? How do you build? Your People always know well, who are you? What have you done? What have you done? That's what it about. always comes back to. What if if I don't know you, and you're not recommended by somebody, you don't come on some of the strength of somebody, you know, just saying vouching for you. What have you done? But if you can point to a list, of what I did, I got a whole resume here. So that's why it's important to build that resume any way you can. So if somebody can't pay you, always say okay, you can't pay me, but make sure I get my credit because you can always build on that. Mm. That's interesting you said that. That was kind of something that was happened to me. I did some music for this uh, indie film, and they didn't pay me. Mm. But he said I wasn't able to pay anybody on this for the music. Yeah. But what I can do is give you um, IMDb credit. I could give you credit as a composer for the film. See, that has value. And he, and he did. That has value. Because people will say to you, "What have you composed?" Mm -hmm. You can point to that. It's on IMDb. It's legitimate. They can do fact checking. It's legitimate. Um, so you know you you you've gone on to be successful. What what um uh as far as, far as like um like what else after Asunder and things of that nature? Malibu's Most Wanted. You that was a funny movie. Um, what other movies have you produced? I know you know shows, things of that nature. What are your plans? Um, you know for the future. As far as in, with 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 uh, producing or executive producing um, shows. Wow, man. Uh, well, the f the future is um, 
you know, I have a production company called Intrepid. Okay. Tommy Morgan's my producing partner, and we've had a chance to produce a, a number of things, different genres, you know, 360 virtual reality, mm. uh, concert series with uh, Megadeth, yeah. the 1980s rock <laughs> thrash metal band, you know, who, who would have who thought? But, right. you know, that and, you know, there's a lot of, lot of different projects, and, you know, I'm grateful to say we just won the Daytime Emmy last year mm. for a show called Give, we, which we have on Saturday mornings at... Uh, on NBC, but you know, there are a lot of different projects. My my head right now. What season is Given? Give is in. Uh, we did two seasons. It's on hold right now. Okay. Um, but you know, I just finished doing two years on a show called Quantico on ABC, and they just canceled that recently. So my my head right now is to always build the production company, keep building the production company. We've got about twenty different projects, different levels of development. Mm. But personally, what I want to do right now is direct again. Mm. You know, the last film I direct last film I directed was uh, ten years ago. Mm. 2010. What about uh, the movie that you did uh, about um, was it Jesus? Oh, the Second Coming. Yeah, yeah, we did that. Tell, tell, tell me about that movie and how it became. It, you, you, it played again. It was re-released and is is in New York somewhere. Uh, DC, the Smithsonian. Yeah, the New Smithsonian. A, New African American Museum in the Smithsonian. Tell me about that. Oh man, you know we did that in 1990. Ooh, when was that? It was 25 years ago. Whatever, whatever math that is. Um, but that came out of the the, the, the Rodney King uprising. Mm. Some people say riots or uprising at the time. And my my uncle Bill had always told me that Jesus was a man of color. Mm. You know, he said he was Jesus black. <laughs> he was a Middle Eastern man. He certainly wasn't uh, blonde hair and blue eyes. Right. Um, so I was always curious. Again, curious about uh, society and sociology and uh, history, race relations, mm. uh, cultures. And you know the image, the, just the idea of the image of Jesus. You know what? What does that mean? What does that mean to people? And, and if you change that image, if you take if you take the image of Jesus and make him brown skin, was let's even put dreadlocks on him. How does that affect you? And if it does affect you as an audience member, why does it affect you? And if we can all agree that Jesus came out of the Middle East, um, modern day Israel. You know, you have to ask the question, well, when are those images, be, when were they changed to having blonde hair and blue eyes? No blonde hair and blue eyes folks in, in the Middle East. And then once you kind of analyze and, 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 and study the history of images, then there's more of a, um, an intellectual conversation to be had, does it matter? And if it matters, why does it matter? You know, how we look and how we perceive each other. Why does that matter? So anyway, this film called The Second Coming, my brother wrote, and I had a chance to, to direct and, and act, and James O. Jones narrated it for mm. us. Great Rosden Cash. Perfect voice. Did the voice <laughs> of CNN. <Right>. Mm. <laughs> but we had a, a great cast, pulled in a lot of my friends from college, my college buddies, mm. you know, actor, acting friends. And, you know, all these years later, I think it would, may have been a little bit behind, before its time. Okay. But all these years later, when they opened the... Um, Smithsonian, the African American Museum in Washington, D.C. a couple of years ago. Last year, they inducted the film into the museum, so it's now in their archives. They did an incredible screening there in the Oprah's theater. So to to so to read, so they re-screened it after 25 years, and you was in a theater, and everybody yeah, yeah, watching we, it again. Yeah, watching it again, so it was, it was amazing. Is it a short but, film? Or is it's, it's, a, it's a short film. It's a 30-minute short film, and then there's like an hour and a half of just 
uh, uh, behind the scenes of making of it because we knew we were doing something kind of controversial okay. at the time. And um, you know, so we did all those interviews then, 25 years ago, just about. So how did that feel um, to see that being, you know, to, to you know, here it is 25 years later, and was it the same kind of impact then that that you're seeing now? Even more so. Now. Even more so. Based uh, on the Mike Brown and uh, Trayvon. Mike Brown, Trayvon, I think the the, the, the man we have temporarily occupying the Oval Office, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and race relations today, right. Black Lives Matter, this is where we are. Yeah. In some ways, we're going backwards, mm-hmm. I think, as a society. So just the conversations that that project will evoke um, and, and, and initiate uh, are as relevant as they were and sometimes more relevant. What made you want to get into uh, voiceover? It was good money. Mm. <laughs> it was good. I mean, listen, man, I figured if there's an opportunity, I go back to what LeBron, uh, Eloise LeBron told me back in the day. And she said be a triple threat, but her point was have as many revenue streams as possible. Come on, bro. That's what you- Come on, man. How many times we talk about that? Revenue streams. That's stream. what you told me. I told you, man. I, I that's preached that. That's what you that. told me. My attorney, Daryl Miller, told me years ago. He said he did his own unofficial survey of the wealthiest people in this country. And what he came away with thinking was you got to have at least, and the wealthiest people have at least seven revenue streams, at least seven different at ways least. to make money, at least. So. You might have 500, but at, at least seven ways to have money coming into you at any given time. So, you know, like Eloise LeBron was on to something. She said become a triple threat. Just use your talent to sing, dance, and act. But I just decided to go go further with it. So you can use your voice for voiceovers or publish books or direct or produce, sing, Fashion. dance, act, have a shoe line, a clothing line, you know, direct, um, you know, wh- whatever. You know, if, if you enjoy doing it and you're able to do it, mm-hmm. why not? So the, the voiceover thing just, um, that was part and parcel with just acting, you know. Mm-hmm. The same agents that send you out for auditions, for film or television or theater even. Uh, the same agents that sent you out to audition for. So you're back in theater too. You did uh, what was the the play? You know, me and my, my, my fiance. We oh, the one you came to uh, was uh, the trip to Bountiful yeah. with Vanessa Williams and Cissy yeah. Tyson. Yeah, I turned that into a movie. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, Vanessa Vanessa uh, Williams and Cissy Tyson did it on Broadway with Cuba Gooding. Mm. Two hundred performances, mm. and then um, then we did the movie. Cuba was doing something else, so they I got a chance to play that part. Mm. We did the movie, and then I took it on tour with Cissy Tyson and Vanessa Williams. We did that together. At LA we did six weeks, and then Baltimore, mm. Boston. Sorry, Boston. And then he did that play where you were, had the the dreads. Uh, yeah, 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 Othello, Othello, yeah, Othello. Yeah, Othello. Othello. Yeah. Yeah. Which was probably the most uh, one of my favorite experiences in my entire career, because mm. Othello is one of Shakespeare's greatest roles, man, and and it, it terrified me. Mm. I'm not ashamed to say it terrified me. What did to play Othello? Why? Because it's one of the greatest roles. Because because there's a lot of baggage that comes with that. Uh, or, or I want to say baggage. I'm not in a negative way, but history. You know, so you want to do it right. Gotcha. Now, part of it was, I mean, I had a chance to, to, to play, um, uh, do the play Streetcar Named Desire okay. uh, on Broadway, and Marlon Brando made that role famous. And it was interesting because he, he was the one person to do it and, and definitively. Mm-hmm. So anybody who comes after Marlon Brando playing Stanley Kowalski is going to be compared to Marlon Brando. What was different about playing Othello is Othello's been around for 500 years, so yeah. many different actors have played Othello and done it great. 
you know, of course, Paul Robeson. They even came out with, uh, oh yeah, Paul Robeson. Paul Robeson did it in, on, in, on the stage. They even uh, did that remake of it, uh, uh, turned into a movie with Mackay Pfeiffer and called it O. Oh, you know, I forgot about that. That's yeah. right. But but Lawrence Fishburne also did Shakespeare's version wow. of Othello. Matter of fact, brilliant. Yeah, that's the version I had to watch in college. Is that right? Yeah, it's brilliant. Back in '99. So you know, the fa- unlike Streetcar Named Desire with Marlon Brando's shadow hanging over that, that was not the issue at all because so many actors have played it. But it was just um, the breadth and width and depth of the language, which I always love. Right. I always love Shakespeare, but just to to do it and do it well. Um, and it's one of the greatest roles. Yeah, and uh, art that with I see it my Go ahead, break it down, brother. Bring it the darkest ways. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Though that 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 language, man, is 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 really uh you have to be really in tune with it to understand it. You That's can't you can't just yeah it's so awful. You can't wing that. You no, can't you can't improvise out of it. You no. can't you can't fake that. So that's the thing. It's Listen, man, like I said, with, with acting, the theater is the actor's medium. No director can come in, no editor can come in and chop up your performance. What happens when that curtain goes up for the next hour and a half is that's you and that cast on that stage. And if you make mistakes, you gotta, you gotta get out of it any way you can. It's a high wire act. That's why I love theater. Theater's my favorite medium. What, what's, what's the most, what, what's, what's uh, the most, I guess, your favorite movie you've done? My favorite movie? Mm-hmm. Um, probably Just Cause I say that because it was unexpected because I played mostly good guys up to that the reason that worked was because you in the movie you're supposed to think he's a good guy he's innocent of these he's, he's falsely accused so you think and at the end it's a twist because you realize he actually did do these things this, this rape and murder of this 12 year old white girl I say that because the race was a part of the issue um, but that because partially because of the story but also because uh, in playing a bad guy being able to do that and to show again, it's all opportunity to show that you can do it, yeah. and then um, to get a chance to work with some of the great. I mean, Sean Connery. Yeah. Come on, it's yeah. James Bond and, and Lawrence Fishburne. These are some of the greatest actors of our time. Is there any role that you would that 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 you would love to? Absolutely, to, Marvin Gaye. Mm. Marvin Gaye, without a doubt. That you would love to play Marvin. Hell yeah. Yeah, I know Dr. Dre's supposed to be, they announced he's supposed to be doing his company like last month. Oh, yeah? So we're trying to hit him up on that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I heard it might be on hold, though, so. Really? Yeah. A Marvel movie on Marvel? That'll Marvel, be yeah, yeah. Be I mean, they're talking about doing a movie on Richard Pryor. It was supposed to be done, but I don't Oh, yeah, I heard that. I think one of the Wayne Brothers is doing that. Yeah, I also heard Mike Epps is part of that, too. He might be doing you that. You know, Mike Epps, yeah. What that's is the thing, there's so much content yeah, no, right now. That's, yeah, that's, no. that's a beautiful thing for everybody. So just wrap things up. Yeah. Um, what is something that you can tell somebody who's listening right now? I have listeners in, you know, all over the country and also in Canada and mm. Italy that listen. Um, somebody who's at home right now listening to this that, you know, they want to pursue acting. They may, you know, be in the dumps about things or they may be acting, but, you know, in between jobs and can't really find the next gig and, thinking about hanging it up what is something that you would tell them if you were sitting right there with them right now to keep them going you know because there's millions of actors and actresses out there right now that you know look up to you you know what I mean and know about you and and what's something that you can give them to inspire them to keep them going I'd say go for broke and don't give up that sounds like a bumper sticker and it's more than that what by that I mean 
like what we were just talking about. Right now, there is more opportunity and product and content that needs to be created and more platforms than ever before. We were talking about early days. When I was doing LA Law, there was three networks, ABC, CBS, NBC. Then Fox was coming along and WB was coming along. Now you've got all kinds of platforms. you got your network, you've got, you got, you got streaming services, Amazon, Hulu, uh, Netflix, all of that. So all of these platforms need content. They need stories to tell. YouTube. YouTube, all of that. Red Bull now, everybody's creating their own content and platforms. So they need, they need artists and creatives to, to create that content. So that means opportunity is my point. So I would say never, unfortunately you can't just rely on your talent being so amazing that, that the world's gonna bow down and, and just come hire you and create a, a career for you for the rest of your life. You gotta go get it. Somebody said, don't follow your dream. Damn that, don't follow your dream. You go stock that sucker, mm. hunt that dream down and get it. Mm. And don't take no for an answer. And stay humble. For me, I'd say keep God for, in, in front of you. Of course. You know, um, and work your butt off. But And, and look for mentors. Mm. That's a big one, man. Look for mentors. Look for those people who are doing what you what you aspire to do right. or who have done it. Don't talk to those who are just talking the game. They ain't done it. Don't listen to them. My dad used to always say, check the fruit on the tree. Mm. See what, what what's the fruit? What 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 has their fruit borne? Mm -hmm. What does it bear? Talk with them. Is there fruit or is the tree dead? Check the fruit on the tree. And if they know what they're talking about, then that's who you want to talk to. If people want to, um, you know, well, I already know. They already know how to get in contact with you. Um, but, you know, I, so I would Facebook, say. Facebook, Instagram. Yeah, just, <laughs> yeah, just kind of, you know what I'm saying? If you want to say hi, you know what I'm saying? Just reach out. Yeah, hit me up on social media. You know, B. Hey, brother. I appreciate you. Nah, I man. I appreciate you for coming through. I just want to just see this last story before I go. Um, so I met I met Blair. Um, I was working in a barbershop, Sherman Oaks, 2011. Matter of fact, I think it was like October 2011. Wow. And I'm in there. At this particular time, I've only worked at the shop maybe six months. Um, the owner of the shop, he uh, comes in. And I'm standing, I'm at my chair. He says, Skip. I said, yeah. He said, Blair Underwood's coming in at 5.30 and you're cutting him. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, I don't think I knew that. I'm like, what? Really? Yeah. I'm like, really? 5.30 comes through. You showed up. 5.30, walked in, said, yeah, I'm here for Skip. I said, yeah, I'm, I was by my, by my chair. I was all like, yeah, over here. You walked over and said, what's going on, man? And I we dapped up. That's what it's been. You know what I mean? That's, That's what it's up. been. And it's been yeah. like that ever since. And I just want to say, I thank you. You know what I mean? I commend you for even just being so down to earth mm. and so humble even in... There's people out here, man, that you have no idea that have been in the game not even that long and so just hot-headed and just I'm on a, this wow. pedestal and, I'm, you know, it's me, 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 me. Not understanding that, no, it's not you, 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 you. It's... God is, you know, gave you these opportunities. That's right. Once you begin to start saying it's me, 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 and acting like it's me, 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 that's when God will say, okay, well then you do you, 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 you. <laughs> that's right. That's exactly and, right. And earlier conversations, I began to understand that that's not your mentality. Mm. You know what I mean? And so, you know, to just be down to earth, cool, I appreciate you. I thank you for giving me an opportunity to work with you on set, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. To give me my first experience working on set in Hollywood. Yeah. Like that goes down 
for me, like, in the books. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And hopefully one day we work again. You feel oh, me? Well, no, we will. You know no doubt. No doubt. But I, I thank you for coming through and lounging with me, coming through, checking out the podcast. Um, and I thank everybody for listening. Stay tuned to the next episode. And until next time. Well, hold up, bro, before you sign off. Let me say, nah, I got to speak on it. I got to speak on it real quick. So, nah, man, I want to say to you, and I've said this to you before, I want your listeners to hear, though, how how impressed I am with you Mm. and how inspired I am by 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 your hustle. Mm, I appreciate because that. you know, we've talked a lot just about, you know, at the beginning of how do I even get into the business. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, coming on the set and working and then you're talking to other people in the business. Mm-hmm. Again, checking the food on the tree. Mm-hmm. People like Sheila, give her a shout out and, and, and many others. Mm-hmm. And say, nah son, this is what you got you gotta do this, that and the third mm-hmm. and take this training over here and invest money here to do this and you've done it. And you've done it, and not gonna all the details, but you've done what you had to do. Mm-hmm. You've jumped through those hoops. And a lot of people, a lot of people, man, talk about it. Mm-hmm. A lot of people say they want success, but they're not willing to pay the price. Mm-hmm. And I see you've done that over over the, you know the last years, and it's just starting to happen. Even what you got here, mm-hmm. creating a, your your, creating. your podcast, creating your own your your own opportunity, your oh, voice, yes, to get it out there, yes. man, and creating your audience as you're yes. doing right now. So now it, it took me a minute. To, to, it took you a minute, but you did it. Yeah. So many people don't even do it. They talk about it, and then they make excuses why they can't do it, but you did it. So, no. So, it is my honor to be here and be able to support you and your, your podcast and what you're doing, brother. I appreciate that. Okay. Had to make time for that yeah. before you signed off. <laughs> <laughs> All good. Well, until next time, y'all. Peace.